We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Thrilling North London Derby ends in a possibly disappointing draw, and we're breaking it down the only way we know how. Expert guests, deep analysis, and examining the text so we can break down the intricacies of the offside rule. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. If you are a clever journalist and you're looking for attention on social media, I suggest you get out your markup tool on your iPhone Photos app and start sending out circles around relevant passages of the offside side rule text because that is a hot commodity for hashtag engagement and you do not want to miss it you also don't want to miss us talking about this match because we got the full boat no scott it's got to be back but paul's here you can find him on twitter pausing in my pants hello pause tim's here you can find him on twitter at stilberto hello tim hello there clive's here you can find him on twitter at clive p afc hello clive Hello, hello. We are thrilled to have you. I am so excited to talk about this game. There's so much to get into. It's almost hard to know how to organize it. So I've decided what I'm going to do today is something totally different. I'm just going to uh, uh, talk about the match with no structural uh, concept in mind whatsoever. So it's going to be a huge departure from what we usually do. By the way, I want to thank everyone who joined us for our live video hangout on YouTube. You know, there's never been a real reason to go to our YouTube channel. It's just been the podcast feed. But we're going to be doing more uh, video stuff. And both Scott and I have been working on some video engineering tools. I make that sound professional. We have no idea what we're doing. But to, to try to make those more fun and more interesting. So if you uh, want to go subscribe to YouTube, there should be some new content popping up there. As always, there'll be some new stuff on Patreon. And most importantly, uh, the main podcast, this one, the one you're listening to now. So enough housekeeping. Let's get to the game. You know what is great about a uh, 6.30 a.m. kickoff local time, Tim? 
the Got great it. thing about it is you set your alarm for 629, you pop out of bed, you put on the match, and you haven't had any time to tweet anything embarrassingly outraged about the lineup. So I didn't have to delete any tweets. I can just sit here and say, I thought he got it spot on. How about you? Did you think he got it spot on? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, from from what we saw of his tactics, I, I always expected uh, Ramsey and Lacazette to play because how do Spurs play? Well, they've, you know, it, it was so obvious at the game as well that um, I, I, I promised this happened about three minutes before the goal. Um, I said to the people I was sitting with, I was like, look how high Tottenham's defence is. It's like, it's not even on the halfway line. It's like edge of the centre circle. And I was like, we don't have to be precise here. We just have to hit that space once and we'll get in. Um, And so, yeah, I thought playing, he was always going to play Iwobi and Mkhitaryan because he pretty much always plays them. I always thought it'd be Ramsey and Lacazette because it makes a lot of sense to try and hit Tottenham on the counter. They... Um, they leave a lot of space um, for you to run into if you can get the ball off them. Um, and that's kind of exactly how the goal came about. It was a bit of a messy build-up, but I kind of think that was part of the plan. But um, yeah, I, I, I can't pretend that every selection was exactly what I expected. I, I wasn't sure I expected Monreal to play left-back instead of Kolasinac, but the way Monreal played, both defensively and going forward, I think that was borne out. I can't pretend that I expected to see Lucas Torreira on the bench. I thought this was a game that would suit him because uh, I thought it would be a bit like it was, really messy, really scrappy, um, and I thought that would suit him quite well. Um, I'd be interested to, I don't think we'll ever find out, but I'd be really interested to know if it was pre-planned to give Genduzi and Torreira a half each or whether um, he just kind of looked at Tottenham getting on top for the last 10 minutes of the half and thought he needed to make a bit of a change in there. Um, but yeah, he and, and you know, for a lot of these games, he's been kind of getting the tactics spot on. We've said it many times that he he obviously looks very much for his opponent's weaknesses and... I, I wouldn't be surprised if all three of those substitutions were pretty much pre-planned. Um, you know, maybe not to the exact minute, but pretty close. Um, I'd have thought he'd have said, yeah, we'll get Torreira on quite early. We'll get Aubameyang on quite early and we'll get Ozil on towards the end um, to try and avail of some space. And uh, yeah, I, I, I thought his approach was spot on. I've, I've kind of given up. Well, I say given up. I, I'm not sure I was ever really trying to... Um, really, really read into what the lineup means because I think, I mean, if this season tells you anything, it tells you that that's kind of a waste of time anyway. But if this week tells you anything, that's a waste of time. He's he's achieved three completely different performances with different formations and different personnel each time. So hopefully, people will start to get that the starting lineup doesn't necessarily tell you very much about how we're actually going to approach these games. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I thought he, I thought he got it. In. You know, you know, not absolutely everything spot on. We only had sixty four percent passing completion, and I'm sure he thought, yeah, maybe that's not going to be as uh, precise as usual because when you're playing on the counter, that tends to happen. You have to sacrifice a bit of technical security. But um, I think I think he's had Tottenham's number both times um, in the league this season. Yeah, absolutely, totally agree. And you, you know what's interesting to me, Tim, just watching Tottenham. There's a part of me that thinks Harry Kane, Deli Alley, Son, Erickson, you know, the quality they have up front has kind of hidden from people the the fact that maybe Pochettino is just a foreign Sam Allardyce. Because, like, 
they play long a lot yeah, yeah. and they're dirty as fuck and like yeah they they really ju- i mean the thing that astonished me and maybe this was part of their plan they just don't play through midfield at all everything no, is they- quick and long into the channels they they never have done. They always what they look to do is I I, I have described them and I and I I say this again. I've not meant that I meant this kind of a compliment actually. They remind me of like old fashioned Wimbledon. They don't play the ball quite that high and they don't have John Fashion who up there knocking heads. But they play it into channels. They've he was never a favorite played of mine personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they they've never played through midfield. They put the what you know Vertonghen and Alderweireld. Look at their pass numbers, their long pass numbers over the last four or five years. It's it's a theme of the way they play. And that's why he likes putting Vertonghen at left back, because all it means is he can just ping that ball on his left foot. And what they specialise in doing is just putting the ball, you know, into your territory and then chasing after it. And they're, they're good at it. I don't think they've been good at it recently. I think now they're playing quite desperate football. I think they reeked of desperation yesterday. They're not taking many shots. And um, I, I think they're they're very, very tired. They've been very, very, very fortunate the last few weeks to get some of the results they have. I think Pochettino knows it. I think he knows this squad is, um, this small squad he's got is, is really, really blowing now. And I think he'd love the season to end today. Yeah, and gosh, there's this tiny bit of me that thinks as creaky as that defense might be, it might not be straightforward for them at Dortmund, but that's another issue. Um, In proof that the squeaky wheel gets the oil in the chat, Paul has requested to be next. So I'm going to go to Paul. Paul, you wanted to follow up on Tim's thoughts about the lineup? Yeah, because I thought it was really good, but it posed some some questions for me because, like, first thing Tim said, and I agree with this, is, you know, if you've got a Wobie and Mkhitaryan fit, uh, they tend to start for Emery, but it's funny how right at the start of the season, probably for the first third of the season, we kept saying, where's Mickey? You know, he had a couple of good performances and we didn't play him. So it's interesting how things turn around. Mm. Um, I think the other factor that you can't ignore in this is that Pochettino and Emery are best buds and know each other. Uh, Emery had something to do with Pochettino getting appointed uh, in one of his roles in Spain, they are probably obsess about each other coming into these clashes. So it's it's kind of fascinating to see what they go with each time. Um, Emery said something about how, you know, we're great friends and everything, but for two or three games, two or three days before and after the match, we don't talk to each other. That kind of implies the rest of t- the time they are. Um, the, the lineup for Spurs, I guess, was fairly predictable. Uh, three of the back. Uh, they don't have any real options in midfield with Winks um, out injured and their other woes. So this was a fairly defensive setup for them. And Emery responded with that likelihood by going with a pretty attacking 4 2 3 1 at the end of the day, even if we mostly con- uh, counterattacked. Um, and he's shied away from that. I mean, away from home at a at a uh, title challenger, ho, 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 <laughs> for us to go two at the back tells you, that, to me, the decision for him was, well, if I've got Socrates and Kishelny and I can look them in the eye and say they're fit, they're match fit, they're up to speed and they last 90 minutes, I can actually play 4 2 3 one because I'm not sure he would have done this uh, at earlier points in the season. And... We'll get into the incidents, etc. But we were basically pretty secure at the back for most of it. 
Um, yeah. mm-hmm. again, on the Gendusi substitution, I thought that was interesting too. Um, I agree with Tim. He may have well had that as a strong option to do the swap, but I felt in the last third of the first half where they hadn't tried to get at us through the middle or hadn't been able to, we've been pretty secure that we're starting to get at us through the middle. There was the uh, David Deleno double save where they came straight at us through the middle and there were a few other moments. And I think that might have prompted the, the switch or the early switch for Torreira. Yeah, so anyway, I, well, I, I, I think... Yeah, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that Genduzzi is legendary for his engine. You know, I, I mean, I think he's a very talented player, but there was so much hard work and running going on in this game that, you know, maybe he felt that Genduzzi for a half and Torreira for a half would give him the most work and running in the deeper part of midfield. There was a period in the first half where they did have us pinned rather deep, and maybe that change in the pattern of play where they were on top of us a little bit led Emery to, to make that switch also. It's, it's hard to say. What I will say is, you know, Clive, two two things. So we talked about in the post-Bournemouth pod that the one thing that I found in the back three is that we lacked some of the central compactness that we had early in the season when we were playing a back four and how how compact we were through the middle of the pitch and how hard it was to play through there and we were forcing people into the channels. And I wonder if, you know, that, that was in Emery's mind and choosing to go with the back four and be more compact through the center of the pitch because they didn't really have anything going on through the middle. And admittedly, when you have Wanyama and Sissoko as your midfield, that's going to be the case to some extent. But the thing that just struck me watching this game, we have sort of ridiculed, not we, I, maybe to some extent on social media and some other people, have have made fun of the Emery work hard, run a lot, yeah, double double training sessions thing. And you know, feeling that that hard work had become a replacement for flair and excitement and dynamism. But this game, to me, was sort of a crowning achievement to some extent in terms of what Emery has tried to do in making Arsenal not a lazy team that saunters onto the pitch and just tries to play jazz football around good teams. I thought we outworked Spurs. I thought we outran Spurs. I thought we covered more ground than Spurs. And when push comes to shove, because we were quicker to the ball, because we were first to react, we wound up being able to take advantage of those counterattacking situations that we we haven't always in these games. So for you, is the work rate and the running and the energy one of the principal differences in these big games, and in this game specifically, that you've seen under Emery? It's just about being competitive, right? It if makes a nice change. Work, <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't work hard, how do you, or how can you, expect to be competitive you just can't you can't stroll around and expect to win top level games there are top six games and there are other games and the top six games the first thing you have to do is be as competitive as your opponent and then you have to maximize your talent and flair in the opportunities that are presented to you and i thought we did it absolutely brilliantly um i will say on the on the back four what we did by playing a almost like a four centre half back four is that we basically said we're going to defend around the eighteen yard box and we're not going to give you those channels that are presented in the back three to kick the ball into. There are two games that fed into this for me. Um Emery's a bit of a video watcher and and so are we, right? So um there are two games that fed into No this one more this. than Paul, we should point <laughs> out. <laughs> there was yeah. um the um the Carabao Cup game. And what do you remember about that game? Do you remember the green spaces that they pinged the ball into first time around the corner? Mm. Harry Kane dropping deep, 
deep, sorry, Son and Ali running into free spaces, our defenders running back, heads nodding, gasping for breath, trying to catch them, them scoring goals, goals to take the story of the game. We push on, we concede another one. That was the, that was the story of that game. And then there was the Chelsea game in the midweek. Chelsea played a compact back four, played narrow, said to Spurs, can you create? The number one creator is Ericsson. He's in a poor run form at the moment. They've got hot carriers behind him. Harry Kane just come back in. The moment Harry Kane comes back in, what normally happens when your superstar comes back is that everyone else drops 5%. Because they say, Harry's here. We're okay now. We haven't got to carry the load. Harry's here. He'll, He'll find a way to throw himself to the ground and get a point. Yeah. yeah I mean, it cost him the first goal, didn't it, really? Because he tried to wait for the contact. Didn't come. Nicked it off him. Went down the side. Thank you very much. Davison Sanchez is looking very much like Mangala. It's gave you a chance. And we've gone in and popped him behind them, right? So, um, so yeah. The game will, will, will tell you what's there. So, I absolutely loved the formation. And I loved the fact he played four centre-halves at the back and said... We're going to not give you the channels. We're not going to give you that first ball. We're going to really dominate the first ball. And then we're going to make sure we fill back in to try to do really well on the second ball. And the combination of Guendouzi, Shaka, and Ramsey doing his bit and Lacazette dropping in was a fantastic base to work from. And once they get the ball head up looking forward, Mikatani Wobi carried the ball forward and took us into into offensive areas. And we did and we were really efficient. And so we Tim spoke about the starting lineup and, and my view on that is I stopped caring. What you what I'm starting to do now is watch two games before that or the opposition that we that we're playing against and see how we could approach them. And then what Emery needs to do is get the buy-in from the squad to say, this is the game you're playing in and this is why. And this is what we want to achieve on that day. And I think all of us, and many, many people listening to this podcast will say, we all saw what he was trying to do. All the players were bought into it and they did their absolute best to execute on it. And for me as a fan watching, that's all I ever want. All I want is a, some, a team and a management with common goals that everyone buys into trying to deliver on it. I may not agree with it, but if everyone else agrees with it, who am I to say I don't like it? Right? So I thought it was tremendous what we did. And, and we looked compact. We looked assured. I cannot remember the last top six away game, apart from the last one that we won, where we looked so assured in everything that we did. And it was just a moment, a couple of moments of weakness that cost us having one of the best celebration days we've had in many a year. So, um, and we will come yeah. to that. We will come, we will to, come that, to that, I assure you. We will. Um, so uh, I, think I'll, I think I'll stop there because you get the gist, right? Uh, yeah. It's, um, I, I, it's, uh, don't worry. I've got, I've got a great sound effect for the cannon that fires Mustafi into the sun. Don't worry. It's, it's coming. <laughs> um, Tim, let, let's go through some of the incidents, though. I mean, we, we do a lot of sort mm. of broader analysis here, but there were so many incidents in this game. I'd like to do a little section now with all mm. of you to, to go through incidents. The first one's right at the start of the game. We made our intentions known early. Lacazette gets put through. Um, ball's kind of over him. He, he tries to snatch at it first time, and it's with his weaker foot, I believe, and, and he misses. Do you rate that as a pretty big chance? Massive. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, and, uh, uh, and, uh, Sorry, I got into mute. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I do. And and actually that that chance told you a lot about how how the game kind of went as well because it was scrappy. It came from like a deflection, someone closing down, a Tottenham player panicking, it a ricochet and like as like it it was it it was a chance that told the story of the game. But yeah, I think um I think he should be doing better there and he knows it. And and you know, let's face it, if he catches it right, um it probably would have gone in it's just he completely scuffs it um but yeah that's that's a big chance particularly when you're playing on the counter attack you you have a plan to play on the counter you want to go one nil up um because that's that's when that that really really comes out of fortunately we did that some minutes later but yeah i think that was a big chance and i think he'll he'll be very disappointed that he missed it yeah i so you know it's funny there was a part of me that kind of looked at how this game played out and thought i wonder if maybe starting Aubameyang and then bringing Lacazette on the second half would have worked better, only because I think Spurs played a little higher in the first half, pushed up a little more in the first half. There was more space to run in behind. Um, I think that you know Lacazette could have been off and at the races a lot in the first half. And then ironically, when the penalty comes up, although there, he wouldn't, Aubameyang wouldn't have been on to win the penalty in the second half. But, of course, if you want someone stepping up to take the penalty, it's probably Lacazette over Aubameyang. We'll come mm. to that. Uh, next incident I want to cover with you real quick, the Ramsey goal. Mm. This is – so, first of all, I do want to get your take on Lacazette's contribution there because overall – and I'm not picking on him because I thought Aubameyang was unfortunately really poor and we'll come on to his performance in the penalty miss later in the pod. But um, I don't think this was a good Lacazette game. I thought almost – Everybody on the pitch played well except him. There were two situations where Ganduzi fed the ball into him really nicely at the top of the box between two defenders, and the ball didn't stick. You know, it just kind mm. of bounced off him. He couldn't get it under control. He had the two big misses. He does provide the assist. My view on it, mm. not to dismiss it, is he's playing it into an entire half of pitch. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. and Ramsey holds his run really intelligently to stay in the half. But without, I, I don't want to diminish Lacazette. Let's talk about Ramsey. He's such a man for a big occasion especially mm. at Wembley. Uh, someone tweeted at me that their lip reading on his celebration is, this is my pitch. Um, but he's got so much time to get that wrong. And when he puts it onto his left foot to round the keeper, I thought the opportunity was gone. How impressed are you with him timing the run, holding the run, keeping his nerve yeah. and finishing in that pressure? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, when it when he ran through on goal, I was thinking to myself, he's because it took a long time so um a lot of lucid thoughts came out i was thinking it actually probably if anyone in the squad i want him to have that chance because he stays so cool in that scenario and i kind of thought to myself even abamyang and lacazette I'd, I'd probably pick ramsey over them because um his brain kind of just stays on a level he doesn't panic um and and yeah it yeah it's again it's quite scrappy the way it comes about it's um it's Lacazette kind of putting Sanchez under a bit of pressure and getting a bit of a lucky bounce but that was what Lacazette was there to do um and I'm sure this was a move that you know I'm not saying they they worked on this exact move but I'm sure this is exactly what it was all about and what um where Ramsey's really found a role um, under Emery, um, you know, because at the beginning of the season, playing as this kind of number 10. I was just going to ask you that. Is this yeah. the performance that that first City game wanted? Is is this yeah. what he's been trying to well, get him to be? Yeah, yeah. So, so do you know the way I'd term it? Is that Ramsey... Um, he, so Ramsey has found a role as a disruptor of other teams, 
he he used to be a kind of disruptor of our team um and i, I don't I, I don't mean that in a like oh he messed everything up but he was the one who had freedom to go where he wanted to break free from the midfield and all of that and emery's been crystal clear from day one he doesn't want that in his central midfield he always wants two of Xhaka Genduzi or Torreira in there um and he's playing Ramsey higher up and yeah, you think, well, Ramsey can't make the runs from deep there. But what, where Ramsey's really adapted, and why Ramsey's been quicker than, say, Ozil to adapt to Emery, is to say, right, is, is to be like the disruptor of the opposition. To say, okay, play a little bit further forward and focus on disrupting them, like of getting forward, of getting into their faces, of doing the high... Um, and, you know, games where we're looking to either counter-attack or high-press, like against Southampton... Um, last weekend we had a plan to high press so we played Ramsey and Lacazette and you know the, this goal I think it worked perfectly my my slight annoyance with Lacazette in this game was I thought he was good at doing the the thing he always does where he comes back and he fights for the ball yes. and he makes things yep. uncomfortable for defenders and that's what he did there and I think the plan was for him to do that and for Ramsey to run in behind to do almost what Spurs did to us in the League Cup game that Clive was describing, where the striker comes short, the centre backs come out to meet him, and Ramsey bombs in behind, um, and and that worked really well. My slight annoyance with Lacazette was I felt like sometimes there was there was time for him to run into space as well, um, like he did the bit of discount of dispossessing the defender, but not the running in behind bit afterwards, and I almost like kind of wish we could have like somehow substituted Lacazette and Aubameyang in like a teleport scenario. <laughs> so that it's like Lacazette winning the ball back and then he immediately morphs into Aubameyang and like runs in behind. Um, but yeah. I, and, I and, don't and with think... Giroud's aerial ability. There you go. We just built yeah. a perfect striker. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I thought that works quite well, albeit I agree with you. I don't think Lacazette had a brilliant game on the day and I, I thought he was probably subbed slightly earlier than um than was probably planned but i at that point i i was all for Ozil and Aubameyang coming on i thought that was the right game state yeah. when tottenham were getting even more desperate they didn't have any shot in the last 25 minutes other than the penalty how unlike tottenham is that they were grabbing they were like even more than usual grabbing fouling every time they panicked they were panicking every time that ball went up in the air kane pulling back Koscielny, pulling his shirt, a, a better referee would have seen that that was happening every single time, but but he didn't. And um, and and I, I thought they looked really desperate, and I, th I thought that was the perfect time to have Ozil and Aubameyang on. Mm. Um, and and I, I think that was the plan as well. I, th I think the plan would have been at some point to share the game time, start with Ramsey and Lacazette, and then when the game really opens up, and if you've got a foothold, in the last kind of 25 minutes, that's when you want Ozil and Aubameyang. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it was, and, and we were on top at the end of the game. We'll get, we'll get to the final periods of the game and how impressed I was with the way we finished the match. Um, it, it, suffice it to say, there are seasons gone by where once we got dragged back to 1-1, we would have lost this game heavily at that point. Um, obviously it did not happen that way. Uh, Paul, let's, let's really quickly touch on Leno's double save. You know, there's a lot of credit going to our center backs here. Socrates was, I think, named man of the match. He was excellent for the most part. I thought Kshelny was excellent. Their partnership is proving so important, and we're going to have to find a way to keep these two old men together, healthy, fit, playing for the big games down the stretch. There's very few opportunities to rest them now because every game is so important um, and because 
Mustafi will be living in his new flat on the surface of the sun. But um, the Leno double save, I think, <laughs> smooths over some things. There was a period there in the first half, as I mentioned, where we were really under the caution, and Kane plays a pass in over the... Is it Kane to Erickson? Is it Erickson who, who makes the little run in behind? I think yep. that's it, yeah, right? Yeah. Yep. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. so, Paul, I mean... Kane's not really put under a lot of pressure, but the center backs lose sight of Erickson. He drifts in. Um, it's not great defending, if we're being honest, and he's point blank, and Leno does something out of the matrix. It was like in bullet motion. Um, I think the first save is maybe better than the second, but they're both spectacular, and you know, I think you want your keeper not to lose you the game, but in this case, at that point in the game, how important and how impressive were those saves? Yeah, it was massive. Uh, I think the that Emery's... Uh, testicles must have got sucked up into his chest cavity at that particular point. And I, think I was already tweeting out a reaction to conceding. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was in. Yeah. yeah. So I think that was when he decided he had to make some... The, the trauma from that must have uh, uh, taken him all the way into halftime. So I think that had a knock-on effect on substitutions, as I kind of said. Um, Leonard was great. Tim and I got into a debate about what Leno was holding in his imaginary uh, left. Well, his arm was not imaginary. It's not imaginary. He, was holding, but, yeah. <laughs> he has a left arm. It, it turned out to be very much real. He says, trying to turn it around. No, he, he has his, for the first save, even though he saves with his right foot, his arm straight out, kind of De Gea style, um, ready for the ball that goes to that side. Because that's the only way you get your hand up quick enough to make those saves when you have no moment uh, no time and then when the second ball comes through his arms up there in the same position they're ready to 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 make the the last final adjustment to the ball and i thought it was a frying pan and tim thought it was some kind of table tennis bat but he looks like he's he's got the hand right out there ready to play a shot a tennis shot or a swing a bat at it it's it's just kind of this weirdly unnatural but now somewhat commonplace uh, uh, positioning um, that the best players, I mean, it's easy to say, and I'm sure they practice it, but under that kind of pressure, you're, you're after all your training, you're going to like, I'm going with my instinct. Well, he went with his instinct, but kept his form, kept upright, kept high and kept that arm right out there. And it paid off. He was brilliant. So that was brilliant. And that's gotta be, I mean, look what De Gea as a, keeper beyond his saves just does for the mentality of his team so we take that going forward i think this is a big bump up for leno this was the game that he kept us right in it and kept us ahead against a top six team away from home um, and i think you take that with you going forward so that was huge uh, I think he it's was huge pretty for morale, too. You know, yeah. there's something yeah, about yeah. defenders knowing that, hey, I don't have to be perfect. My keeper's got my back. And I don't feel like Arsenal defenders have had that feeling for a long time. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think it's really... Re- I think there are a number of things that are really big about this game. We, wa- we wanted to take three points forward, but I think we take almost everything else forward in terms of mentality, uh, swagger, reestablishing ourselves... Uh, putting the lie to some degree towards the power shift in North London, blah, blah, blah. And you come out of this with Arsenal looking at the fixture list saying, yeah, no, this is very much on. So, yeah. 
I, I agree with you. And Clive, I think one of the things that, you know, we have to stop and recognize now too is that when you get the right players on the pitch in the right positions, things go well. Now we are far from at our best right now because I think Hector Bellerin is one of the most important players in the team. And you're obviously playing the worst human being imaginable at right back. So that's that's a downgrade. But like putting he who shall not be named aside for a moment, I thought Mkhitaryan was spectacular again. I think he has been the story this week. I think that his return to form and his return to the team and our ability to play one up top and get really incisive, impactful, um, uh, decisive, effective football in the final third for Mkhitaryan has been huge, but not just the final third. He's been everywhere. He had a clearance early. Remember that in the first half where he tracked all the way back and cleared across? Yeah, that the, was brilliant. I mean, unbelievable. Into and the six-yard box, yeah. He, he's, he's, you know, he's harrying all over the pitch. He's covering all the ground. He's, he's making the difference. I mean, obviously not a goal in this game, but created chances that could have been goals. Uh, for me, he is the player right now that looks so impactful. And I remember thinking in the Atleti tie last season, based on how he'd been playing right before he went down, that had we had him, we would have won that tie. He's certainly yeah. looking like the difference maker right now because you put Aubameyang in that position, you put, I don't even know who else we would be trying in that position. Maybe then it's back to, to, I mean, Dennis Suarez? I don't, I don't know. But he just, he is such an important player. How impressed were you? with him today and what has he changed dynamically for, for us the way we're, we're building play and attacking? Yeah, he's, um, what he's done is he increases influence. So sometimes Elliot, you have to, what people do is they look at a player, they look at the last thing that he does. So remember the Bournemouth game when he had, he was all over the place when Tim was probably there. He was doubling up with Iwobi. He was getting on that left-hand side. He was having shots and crosses. He was hitting corner flags. And he was like, he was very hot and cold. Very hot and cold. But you know what I saw? I saw a player desperate to influence the game. Desperate to combine. He works really hard. And if you notice, and this is like for I've said this before on the podcast, so this will be boring for some. But if you notice, in every single game he plays, he never gets dominated, right? So he looks after his job. There are other times when other players have good games, but they get dominated by their man, and their man hurts us. If you look at when he plays, he never gets dominated. So his base game is a six and a half, seven. He might kick it out for for a throw-in, but he ain't going to let you down from a base perspective and when he increases his influence and he gets more confident and he finishes off and, and crosses and scores everyone goes oh he's a really good player well, he's always been a good player it all comes back to what we think he is he is a major cog in this Emery team he's exactly the sort of player that Emery would buy if he wasn't here already because he does everything both ways and when he's in those areas he makes some good decisions, but his intent to play is always the right way. And what's happened the last week is that he's he's been more consistent. And maybe, just maybe, more people within the club and within the fan base are seeing what he can do and make him feel more confident. I think, I know you're going to go into the forwards later in this game, but it's, it's a major part of football, how players feel supported. And he's a player, much like he will be, that if they feel supported guess what? They play a bit better. And it isn't really complicated, right? And so what we're seeing from him is a bit more in product because people like that. They like to see the final pass, the final shot. But actually, what we're seeing is influence over a bigger space, 
more confidence to get on the ball in areas that don't belong to him, more connection, more drive, more speed. But we talk about a player who's already been a European top player. You don't go from Dortmund to Manchester United if you're rubbish, right? So and what we've done is we've, we're extracting that from him now within a framework which he likes, with people around him that he likes. And basically, he looks really good. And uh, it's no surprise to me. I know me and Paul have been the chairman of the Mkhitaryan fan club back late last year. And people are talking about we got the wrong end of the deal with Sanchez. I never felt that. Not for one second. We got the right end of that deal. Quit subtweeting me. <laughs> maybe he's uh maybe he's got 25 grand too much in his bin a week yes right due to the fact that we messed up it's not his fault no yeah we we messed up we messed up he's a 140 grand a week player that we've got on 180 200k depending on which paper you read and but at the moment no one's questioning his salary because he's producing and that's just the way it goes yeah it's it's brilliant to see and i think what it does, it allows us to play the one up top and have a little more balance and have someone who can not just finish like we saw against Bournemouth, but I, Tim, I don't know if you remember late in the second half. I'm sure you do because you remember the name of that guy at Wimbledon who I'd never heard of before, so you remember everything. <laughs> um, but uh, he had a pass from our half that he curled from the right half space yeah. in between two defenders out in front of Aubameyang that uh, Oba couldn't quite get under control but i mean if that had been also playing that pass there'd be like 30 youtube videos set to edm music about it that'd be all over your twitter timeline so like really just an extraordinary game from him and i'm i'm curious to think to, to hear if you think maybe his inclusion and the balance it gives not having everything go down the left has benefited awobi who i think has been more clear in thought and execution he had one play that was very unawobi like which is what we've been wanting from him where he cut past a man got into the box created a little half, half yard and curled it now he didn't have the courage he didn't put it far he didn't start it far enough outside the frame you know what i mean um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you think that Awobi is benefiting from Mkhitaryan's influence because it it means that he's not forced to have everything sort of go down his side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just having another kind of, um, well, I, I suppose Mkhitaryan's moved from like a secondary creator to more of a primary creator, actually. But Mkhitaryan is, I mean, we had the conversation a few weeks ago, didn't we, when, when he first came back and we said he'll play. He's one of the few, like, so I think we'll share game time between Ursula and Ramsey. We'll share game time between uh, Aubameyang and Lacazette. I think eventually we'll share game time between Iwobi and Suarez. We'll share game time between, you know, Xhaka Torreira and Genduzi. Like, even at centre-back, maybe, he probably won't. I, I don't know, maybe it's changing now, but he might want to give Koscielny a rest when he can and... Yeah, like swap those defenders around. Monreal and Kalasinac. Kalasinac playing really well. Even he's getting rotated. Mkhitaryan isn't because, um, you know, there's, there's no one else in the team that really does that, that gets the system quite like he does. And, uh, you know, I've said all season that, uh, that, you know, building on close point there, even when he doesn't really play that well, I think Mkhitaryan's valuable to us just because he um, he can operate in this structure and because he holds that right-hand side and, uh, even you know, even without Bellerin there, uh, he's doing all of this without a right back. But um, I, I won't go into too much detail because I've said this on the last two pods. But I also think the fact that we're not playing a front two and we're playing a number ten now, 
either one of Ramsey or Ozil is helpful for both the wide forwards. It just gives them one more player to connect with, one more player to take, you know, uh, to give them a little bit of space to play with. I, I think that's been the real difference the last three games. Instead of playing Lacazette and, Lacazette and Aubameyang together with the wide forwards behind them, we, I, I think it's just a slightly nicer connection to have three behind um, one centre forward and, and it gives you a lot of variety then. Yeah, um, and I think that's played into it as well. Yeah, I I totally agree. And and you know it's interesting, right? Because Kolasinac Col- has come in for a lot of credit this season. And I'm not trying to take it away from him, but for being you know this incredible XA, you know, chance creator, creates a lot of big chances. And I, I've always sort of been in the opinion that maybe it's system. And you see it um, for the lock is that second miss. How big is that? It's it's it comes right after the Leno double save. It's fed yeah. into a Wobi. I mean, it's it's sort of the quintessential thing that Emery's been trying to build overloads on the on the wing that create chances for cutbacks, you know, to the penalty mm. spot. And and this one, you couldn't ask for anything better because it, it comes into Lacazette. He holds it up on the edge of the area. He gives it to Awobi. Awobi slides it to uh, Monreal, who runs half the pitch to get to the position. Delivers the absolute perfect little cutback to Lacazette. He can control it and shoot or take it first time. He opts to go first time and misses. I mean, for you, is that the quintessential Emery move? And is that, again, another mm. just huge missed opportunity? Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think um, we can all see what Lacazette's done there. I, I know I, he just stabs I've it. certainly done this. Yeah, it's almost like the move unfolds so well that you kind of get half a second ahead of yourself and um, the ball's already in the net and you're running over towards the away fans before it's on the end of your boot. And mm-hmm. and before you know it, you've kind of taken your eye off it a bit. You've rushed it. And, and you know, that's, oh that's yeah, yeah. And that's what happened there. And, and to be honest, it took... The, the move unfolded so quickly and I was I was kind of right in line with it that um, it took me a couple of seconds to process um, the miss and and what a big miss it was because it all just happened so quickly in a flash and and obviously that's a good good attacking play when that happens so it, it wasn't like um, I didn't have that when the ball rolled back towards his foot, I didn't have that, oh, here we go moment. It all happened too quickly. It wasn't until the ball had already gone well wide that I, I really worked out what was happening. And I, I wonder if that, you know, I, I don't know, but I wonder if that was just the same for Lacazette, that it all just unfolded so quickly and so unexpectedly that, because, uh, you know, Monreal comes out of nowhere as well. It's not like, like you say, when Kalasanac is up there, I mean, he's already up there pretty much all the time. So we can see it's coming, but Monreal really, really gets the afterburners on and comes from a long long way back to make that run and yeah I, it's 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 obviously a big miss and in, in a game like this you, you've got to put that away and I, I wonder if maybe the first miss was playing on his mind a little bit and he he kind of snatched at it and um you know he was sub straight afterwards wasn't he and and I wonder if that was Again, wonder if that was entirely planned or whether the manager just thought, no, he's got he's got to come off now. We can, you know we can't. Maybe his head's gone a little bit, or maybe if if we, maybe he was thinking, oh well, if we get another chance like that, maybe it's better if Abamyang has it. But um, yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> that didn't quite work out, did it? <laughs> no, it it did not. Ironically, I mean, you know, on a day where you know you have two of the best, you you may have the best strike tandem in the league, and. They're really the reason we didn't get the three points, unfortunately. I mean, not to knock them because they both did some good things, but you can't miss from there. In our chat, I've put a, a little screenshot, and 
it's hard to tell from the angle, but when you look at Lacazette where he is in that position, there's nobody even near him. He's in so much space and so much. I mean, because Lloris is at his near post. He's got the whole goal to aim at. So, man, it is a tough one. Um, I'm going to come to Clive in a minute to talk about the day the strikers had. But, Paul, I want to talk to you about the subs. Look, if there's one thing that has kept me from really warming to Emery, and let's be honest, I have I have had my share of concerns. It has been that Oops, I, I felt, and that's okay, laugh at me. I deserve it. It's really the number one most common reaction I get. Um, I felt that he has been too conservative. Arguably, some of the games where I've liked Emery the most have been the big games, where he's, you know, I've always said, I I think he's good at tactics that neutralize what other teams want to do well and using their strength against them. What is that martial art that does that? Is it jujitsu or, you know, where you use the other person's attacking moves against them? It's all counter moves. I feel that Emery is really good at those counter moves, but gosh, I've really just gone way out of my depth there. Welcome to the Joe Rogan podcast. Judo Judo does a lot of that. Um, Well, so putting that to one side, I thought the subs, again, I loved it. Ozil and Aubameyang, right? I mean, go for it. Get on top of them. And it nearly bore fruit. I mean, we finished the game well on top. Even after conceding, it didn't change the pattern of play. Spurs were grabbing and holding, as Tim alluded to. They were hanging on. I mean, for you, is is this game not only wonderful because of how competitive we were and how much we really should have had all three points and so many things that we did well, but also because it's a sign that Emery is really starting to feel the sort of ethos of this team and that, that going for it and using the, the most talented players in the biggest moments is the best best path forward. Yeah, you see, jiu-jitsu is really about going to ground, which is uh, why I'm surprised you're not more of a fan of Mustafi. So Mustafi, giving- yeah, he's a jiu-jitsu, yeah. yeah. I, I'll, I'll tell the joke yeah. for you, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, you started with the subs, and I think the subs are very interesting in this because the second two subs are very attacking. Uh, the first sub, I think, was his reaction to him feeling exposed, let alone our team through the center in the, in the first half, as I said. But the second two um, are the the tag teams we've talked about. The You can certainly understand the Laka-Oba swap, uh, given, you know, wanting one center forward on a pitch like this, potentially on the day, and the fact that from a fixture standpoint, Europa League is going to be Aubameyang, and Lacazette has been... So you you get that dynamic and why it's one for the other. You could argue Obama Yang should have been on early, but you can also argue that having somebody that can stretch their uh, defense and get that ball over the top uh, was key. And Obama Yang, or Lacazette struggled with the physicality of this game because they were basically kicking the shit out of him. He was very good dropping back into midfield and helping out. But as a center forward trying to move forward, he was just getting kicked and bullied by three bruising center backs. And while Aubameyang doesn't love getting kicked anymore, he had the speed to separate from those guys. And I think that's where our opportunities came from in the end. And you could argue he should start or finish. And it might just be more about fixtures mm. and and parallel competitions as to who started here. Um, the The interesting one for me going forward is Ramsey Ozil. And it's a really interesting contrast because Ozil got to watch Ramsey start and play for Emery doing the role that 
basically Emery wants Ozil to be able to do, or at least add to his game. Uh, and Ozil came on pretty fired up. Uh, there's a good 10 seconds of Emery getting in Ozil's head about, you know, slapping him, uh, rubbing him, uh, uh, abusing him, cheering him up, uh, just making sure that he's that the last thing he knows he has to do is get those fucking energy levels up. None of those going up, you know, the Ozil Emery duel, or sorry, the Ozil aerial duel where he goes up, but he's not really going for the ball. He just wants to like be in your presence and mm-hmm. hope you miss it. And mirac- miraculously, often they do miss it. But that's not what he's looking for here. And you see Ozil going around, getting stuck in, tracking back. And so the hope for me is that this. Uh, 60 40 or 70 30 share of that role within the team if we move to a, a uh, two center backs which might obviate the need or cause the need for a, a number 10 um will be both a route back in for ozil and a roadmap for what he needs to add as he comes on as the second guy and maybe as the season goes on he becomes the first guy because he really does add it to his game it's it's the ticket to the ballpark if if he doesn't do the energy levels, he doesn't get on. And he's got a safe laboratory of 20 minutes at the end of the game to prove out that he can deliver what Emery's looking for. So there's hope there for, for us Ozil worshippers who would agree with Emery. He needs to come with much more energy and get stuck in. So uh, I kind of got that out of it. Mm. Yeah, I honestly, that whole answer was worth it just for the way you say laboratory. I love that. That's so great. I wish I could say it that way. Laboratory just sounds terrible. Laboratory. Yeah. Can you say it one more time? Laboratory. Oh, so good. Um, we Don't worry. We'll talk about the referee. I'm trying to tee it up so that it'll be Tim's talking point because he's really the one who has made, he loves I would say, yeah. a, an amateur career of evaluating and critiquing referees. <laughs> um, so, Clive, before we come on to that, how about just your thoughts broadly on the center forwards? I mean... They bring totally different things, and they were both spectacularly effective in it, except for the finish. I mean, Aubameyang put through twice, both times by Mkhitaryan. Once he was just sort of jostled off the ball between two central defenders. Once he wins a, admittedly, soft penalty that he fails to put away. Lacazette, um, two big chances from the type of play that he's really good for. You know, sort of coming short and then going into the space to uh, receive the return ball. He misses his chances. Two really good performances from the center forwards getting into position. Two really bad performances finishing them off. How do you evaluate the way our star strikers played in this game? Yeah, it's um, this is the this is the cruncher, right? So when you look at the output of them, you know what they didn't quite do it in the home game. They did it. They both scored goals they shouldn't have scored. You know, Aubameyang's goal when he whipped around the corner. Where does that come from? Right? I never saw it coming. Uh, Lacazette's goal, he smashed it off Dyer's legs. Never saw it coming. Top players. They're also very emotional players. And I think what's happened in this game, forget their output, forget the game, because everyone listening to podcasts knows exactly what they did, knows exactly what they did wrong, knows exactly where they were weak. What we saw, we saw the, we saw the covers come off them, two players. And where it came off for me was their emotional stability. We have two very lively, 
very positive people, very happy people, that from the moment Lacazette missed that first chance, we lost him. He got a kick early in the game. He was feeling his legs. I thought, is he going to come off early? Is he going to come off early? How does he feel about this game? He managed to give a six and a half out of ten performance. To win this game, we need an eight. That's all we needed was an eight. And he, he let the game get hold of him emotionally. He came off, did his little strop on the sideline, and then Abamian came on. Did quite well. Had a couple of early movements. Davison Sanchez likes to run with him, so that takes away his strength immediately. I think Spurs thought Abamian was going to start. Davison Sanchez into crowd scenes is not so good. Lacazette turned him. Ramsey's an opportunist. He's playing in a role which is better for him. Great line, Tim, about him disrupting the opposition, not disrupting us. That therein sums up what we've seen for two, three years. Therein sums up for me why I wish Ramsey had met Emery many years ago because he wouldn't be walking out of our club right now. And so and so we've got a situation where we have these two forwards, 90 million quid's worth, and they emotionally, I'm sorry to say it, they've got issues, right? Because we all saw it. Everybody who was not at that game saw it in their faces. They were, they, they were too traumatised over the misses. They didn't react well. And it was just there, staring in the face. There's not one person in the UK that felt when that camera flashed to Bamming Yang's face, he was going to score that penalty. <laughs> There's yeah. not I was one, hiding behind sorry, the couch, so I can't say I, what he looked like. Sorry, I shouldn't say UK. Not one person in the Arsenal world that when I that camera he, flashed yes. to his face, he was going to score. So I'm not saying something that you don't know. I'm just highlighting it. Here we have a couple of our best players. If you look to Arsenal from 30,000 foot down, we've got two forwards that are doing the business. We've got two forwards that have got a ceiling when it comes to mentality. And they need to fix that. They need to stay quiet this week and fix that because they're too good to allow events of a game like that to overtake them to affect their base technique. Let's talk about Lacazette's chance in the first half. Okay, left foot. Okay, I'll give you that one. It'd be nice if you if you slot it in the first five minutes because that changes the story of the game. I take it. The second one, sorry, mate, you've got you've got a right foot to die for. We've all seen the videos him scoring past two goalkeepers. You've got a right foot to die for. Get your stride pattern right. Get your foot around it. Put it in net and go over there. Or and, take and a touch. Cheer. Or take a touch. There's no. Do whatever you got to do. <laughs> do whatever you got to do. I say so it didn't work out. He comes off strop. You know what, mate? I'm not having that. By the way. I'm not having that at all. When you have a strop when you're playing brilliant, right? When you when you toes one out to the corner flag and you hit a ball boy, then sit that sit down, get your tracksuit on and, and be quiet, right? Abamian comes on, plays really well. Everyone's playing well. It's not an issue here. It's not me digging people out. But I'm telling you, when the moment comes to deliver, you do not leave anything to chance. This is not park football. This is Arsenal Tottenham. Wembley Stadium, you deliver. You don't walk around in Christian Lebu on spike trainers and then side foot one to the goalkeeper's right hand side by his feet. You just don't do it. So, what do we have here? And this is going to be something I'm talking about next season, Elliot. The manager's going to see that. He's going to say, okay, good players, winners a team, losers a team. Let's sit down and work out where our funds are going. Let's work out what we can spend, what we can recoup. Do we have a ceiling with these two people? 
or are they going to learn from what's just happened? So the pressure's now back onto the player and how you react, because every player will miss a chance. Everybody will do something, and nobody, Abamyang and Lacazette did not want to miss those chances. I guarantee you that. And I didn't sleep last night, and I guarantee you they're looking like Lou Bill right now with baggy <laughs> eyes. They have not slept, right? So, and so. It's all about their reaction now when we go to Rennes, when we have Manchester United at home. And they need to turn up and deliver and show, we can own this. We're top players. We can own it. And if they can't own it, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. But they've now been stripped naked in front of every single Arsenal fan. And we're going to watch them now. And if they duplicate that at a key moment that we really want them to deliver in, the worm turns very quickly. Alex Iwobi's come out of it. Mkhitaryan's come out of it. Ozil's on his way out of it. You know, there are other players in that team that have been in that hole that have managed to get Shaka's come out of it up to a point. You know, and there are players that have come out of that hole and they've fought back and they've reacted appropriately. And I feel these two strikers, that I've got the world looking at them now. I say, okay, you had a bad day. Your reaction now is really, really important. And I'm going to be watching them this week. I'm sure other people are. We know that Aubameyang's going to play in, in France. And we know that probably Lacazette's going to play against Manchester United. And I think they have to deliver. And we're going to be watching their movements, right? Uh, am I wrong there or what? <laughs> I would think so. I mean, you know the funny thing, Clive, is how hard it can be to balance narrative versus you know data and, and looking at what your eyes tell you and then looking at what the numbers tell you and balancing those two things. Because I look at Aubameyang, for example, who has 19 goals in all comps this season, who has scored some big goals for us this season, who scored twice against Tottenham at home this season, who, you know, someone said to me on Twitter, you know, the problem with giving him the penalty, he's the kind of guy that when he has time to think about it, he screws up the chance. Literally three days ago, whatever it was, some number of days ago, that that we can agree on, yes. round, rounded the keeper with all the time in the world and coolly slotted home uh, against Bournemouth. Now, again, Bournemouth, the game was already dead, fine, whatever. I mean, the point is... You know, the narrative, the thing I see with my eyes is Aubameyang alone, if he just taps in goals he can score in his sleep, gets us three points against Chelsea and three points against Spurs, and we're comfortably top four, and potentially, not potentially, we are ahead of Spurs in the, in the table. Those are yeah. missed chances that you can't just look at the data and say they don't exist. But then again, you also have to look and say players miss big chances. You know who leads? All right, Obama Yang leads the league in big chances missed this season. You know who led it last season? Mohamed Salah. No, Salah. Yeah. <laughs> Salah or Salah or however you say. You know what? Fine. It's, it's on brand. Brutalizing the, the pronunciations. Uh, but it let is, me. But Elliot, yep. We're not talking. We're not talking about Shamak and Javinho. Oh no! And good. we didn't pay Shamak and Javinho prices for them either. <laughs> we 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 we're talking about good players. So we're talking amongst friends here. We're just knowing what we see. We're not stupid. We all know what we saw. They mischanted. But for me, it's emotional damage it did to my felt. Much like probably Tim felt in the ground and you all felt, if Lacassette scores that first goal, he scores the second. And therein lies the life of a striker, right? He snaps that first one away. He definitely snaps the second one away. And we're, and we're talking about, we're sitting here on a Sunday afternoon with cigars and red wine on, talk about how we beat Spurs 4-0. Like that's all. That is the fine line to football. So what I'm talking about is the reaction to what we just saw. Not what they did. It's all about them reacting. They miss chances. You know what? They're going to miss more. They miss chances at Wembley in the last minute. You know what? They're going to miss more. 
Right? But it's how you react. You've cheered me it's right up there. It's how you react. <laughs> it's how you react. And there's a, and we've got a big couple of weeks coming up. If they react appropriately, it's going to be good. Right? I was talking to you about before the game about my own team. I had a new striker play today. He scored three goals in the second half. I like a great coach. He just whipped one in from the right-hand side into the top corner. I had nothing to do with that talent. Mm-hmm. That's just a good player delivering. And suddenly everyone says to me, what a great game, Clive. Well, well done, mate. I'm thinking, bloody hell, that striker is fantastic. Right? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do the job, score the goals, suddenly everything looks good. Even Mustafi looks good. If no. Whip that into the net. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mm-hmm. mean? All right. Look, and there, and there right. lies the problem, right? Look, <laughs> let's so do can this. I, because... Can I add something, Clive, for uh, your coaching? Real quick. What yeah. I always used to do when I was coaching the team was after I'd teach the tactics, I'd sketch one person scoring a worldie from distance on the board. So if anybody did, I could claim afterwards I told <laughs> That's what you told them to do. Smart. He's smart, man. Um, uh, I, yeah, I'll try uh, that one. Uh, okay. I mean, look, um, and by the way, I'm, I'm not saying... My point wasn't that Aubameyang should be forgiven for missing or Lacazette should be forgiven for missing. These are two very good players who need to convert these chances. That's why they... Look, you get paid all this money to get into scoring chance in big games and score. This isn't supposed to be on a spreadsheet. This is supposed to be passionate, and it's supposed to be, you know, about what you see with your eyes and how you react with your emotions. And, uh, you know, I just know that my my feelings are more important than my facts. So, Tim, speaking of feelings, I know we're about to lose you in five minutes, so I want to get through mm. a couple of things with you. First of all, just about the, the Aubameyang penalty miss. Mm. In the last two, three seasons, I mean, where does this rank for you in deflating moments of disappointment? <laughs> I, You know, it's the best thing in the world to be in a position oh. to beat Spurs away, and we deserved it so bad. I couldn't sleep last night. You know, most games, mm-hmm. even bad losses, I can shake them. I can play with my daughter. I can, you know, I can do something. I can, you know, I can put on Pornhub and, and make it go away. But I couldn't make it go away. Is this up there for yeah. you in the last few seasons for disappointing moments? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to be. You know, when when do you like when do you, the chance to win in stoppage time away at, at your close rivals after a few years of taking a bit of a beating off of them um, at White Hart Lane? It's uh, uh, and Wembley last season. Yeah, it is. I I think. Um, I, first of all, I'd, I'd say we've got Man United next week, so Lacazette and Aubameyang have got a big chance to kind of do a little bit of making up. I, you know, I don't want to kill Aubameyang here because penalty misses happen. Um, I, you know, I don't know if you remember David Luiz's penalty in the Carabao, Carabao Cup final shootout last week. Mm-hmm. You know, massive run up, tries to stick it right in the corner, hits the inside of the post. It happens. He tried to do the right thing. Goalie wasn't saving it. Exactly. You deal with that. You say, unlucky, you tried to do the right thing. Aubameyang doing that, in the last minute of the North London derby, taking the exact same penalty he took against the same goalkeeper three months ago. That to me is poor technique. Seri- that, and that, that's what it comes down to. It's a poor decision. Serious penalty takers practice this shit and they think about it. They don't just, like Clive said, it's not park football. You don't just go up and, I'll oh, try and kid the goalkeeper again. If you're serious about penalty taking, and it is a technique, and that is why some players are better at it than others, it's a skill. And if you take it seriously, you vary. You think, shit, I took a penalty against this guy in December. Don't do the same thing. Do Can something I push back different. just slightly on that and ask you a question? Mm. Which is like, could it be also, I mean, they have, they have access to so much information and stuff too. Is it possible that, for example, the book on Lloris is he goes down early on penalties, wait for him, and he didn't. And that, you know what I mean? Maybe. I'm just saying, could that be part of what yeah, factors maybe. into it? 
but maybe and that worked in december but it's it's kind of unlikely that you're going to fool a goalkeeper like that twice and 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 you know ultimately i i think my point of view is always fuck the goalkeeper just put it in the corner and the goalkeepers are relevant anyway but there you go Mm, yeah no i I mean so but just as far as like deflation though i mean it's gonna sound weird uh um griezmann's goal in the europa league last year at home was super deflating because I thought Arsene Wenger was going to go out with the Europa League. I mean, that the way that game played out, and that was such a deflating moment. But we haven't had a lot like this where I just it just stung for yeah, yeah. the rest of the day, you know? Yeah, same. I, I kept replaying it. And look, ultimately, we're in an incredibly tight race for the top four, and that, that could have big consequences. Well, let me ask you then. The, the rebound should be put away. Vertonghen's in position to block it because he's... Look, there's encroachment on every penalty, okay? Yeah, yeah. So there are certain things we have to say, okay, fine. He's halfway to the penalty spot. He's probably in Aubameyang's eyeline when Aubameyang kicks it. And Taylor's... The word egregious comes to mind. It's egregious, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in your opinion, is that one where you can't just play the it happens every penalty card? Is that one so egregious? I mean, I think it it costs us a goal because even with the bad miss, the rebound is easily slotted home because he's not in position to block it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And um, I... yeah, definitely. This it, It's a bit like, um, you know how referees tolerate, well, they seem to tolerate it all nowadays, but you know how a referee will say, oh, I'll tolerate like a player saying, oh, fuck off, like in the heat of the moment. But if it's like persistent, like swearing, shouting in my face, then he's going to get a red card. It, it kind of felt like that. It's like, yeah, everyone like has their toe a little bit over the line. But, you know, this was this was a long, long way. And obviously he, he influences the play. And, and really, you've got three officials um, who are only looking at a couple of things. It, it's, you know, it's not one. Uh, there's a big misunderstanding about the role of the referee. And there's, you know, people never try to see it from their point of view but on this occasion it's it's quite a simple thing and i don't think they didn't see it i just think um and all right i'll go into the referee's performance i think we put too much pressure on referees like um in terms of how a game pans out like how many times do you hear like oh the referee ruined that or you know the referee did this the referee did that the the only people who are responsible for how a game pans out are the players that's not the referee's job the referee's job is to interpret the rules and so i I felt like um we saw a lot with taylor there were so many fouls in this game from both teams that he almost felt like i can't call all of these because it will ruin the game and it's like that's not your job. Your job is not to determine how good a television spectacle this is. If there are a hundred fouls in this if, game, if you have to give fifteen yellow cards or two uh, red, exactly. you give them. All. Yeah, that's it. Exactly, exactly. And so I and I and but I kind of understand. I feel like that's a symptom of the pressure and the unreasonable stuff we say about referees and how they destroy the flow of the game. And you know, I always book someone too early and all of that. And I and I really think that. Um, you know, they should be told firmly to ignore all that. That's not their job. That is on the players, not on the officials. And so I kind of felt that there's no way that none of the officials saw that. It's just they thought, oh, shit, this is the last minute of a North London derby. If I order that to be retaken and they score, you know, I'm going to have like Spurs fans, you know, 
posting my address on forums and like getting my you know getting hold of my wife's facebook it and may all sound silly and- but that's the one area where maybe you want mike dean in there because he loves being the center of attention and he'll have no <laughs> second thoughts about yeah. making that call yeah quite possibly yes yeah well i know we have to lose you um we are going to continue because we still have quite a bit to get to cool. of course uh, mustafi not the least of it so um we will we will definitely talk to tim again in the future but you can find him on twitter at stoberto thanks tim my pleasure as always. Okay, goodbye. Tim is going to be uh, on the Get Football Now GFFN pod, uh, Get French Football Now pod, uh, talking Arsenal Wren, uh, if you want to look out for that, as you should. Paul, um, before they equalize, Danny Rose uh, tries to, I, I guess the best way to describe it is um, uh, practice surgery on Bern Leno and remove his spleen or his, uh, would it be his small intestine? I, I don't know, uh, anatomy really, um, except what I can feel when I, s- never mind. Um, so in your opinion, look, so here's the hard thing, right? If the Torero one's a red, the rose is two reds. The rose one is worse than the Torero one. So you, you give Torero the red, you open yourself up to the reinterpretation of the rose one. Let's say the Torero one's never given in a vacuum. Is Danny Rose's laundry red card? Um, so back to Tim's view. So the short answer is no, it isn't. Uh, it's in not? The sense that, all right, so let, let me explain what I mean by that. It, to the letter of the law it is, when you're the referee of the NLD and that thing's pretty pretty early-ish in the game, I don't That's think not I've given it. That's not early. That's a, was it's it early s- enough. 60 minutes? Set 60 58 minutes, something like that? Yeah, uh, that's that's early enough. Well, all right. So, uh, you know, or no, so the easy thing. So if we deal with the letter of the law, I think Rose is more likely the red. I think Terreras isn't. Um, if I look at it as referring the NLD, I'm going to be very loath to say send anybody off in the 60 minutes, and I'm a bit of a coward by sending Torreira off because it's right at the end, and I don't think it's going to cost the result. But All right, so, okay, so can case, I ask you I'll, a question? I, I want to give you a yeah. hypothetical because here's why I don't think the red was given. I think if you breathe on a goalkeeper when he's jumping for the ball in a crowd, you get the goalkeeper gets the foul. I think you can basically kick a goalkeeper's face through the back of his skull and never get more than a yellow card when it's on the ground because people just feel, oh, the, the you know the goalkeeper's lunging into people and he's all around feet and players can't help it. If that rose straight leg over the ball studs up into the chest challenge happens on an outfield player, is it a red? I don't know. I think it's a red uh, so all I, day I, And I do agree it's an important distinction. Rose maintained and even uh, straightened his leg after... He had his nominal contact with the ball. Torreira pulled his leg towards him. So I see a big difference in them. I think as a referee, I, I don't give either one of them. And I think the cowardice was, hey, Torreira is late in the game. It's not going to cost the result. Uh, I'm feeling brave. That's my take. Well, on so the only reason I bring it up is if Rose gets red carded there, there's no way they get the equalizer. I just, I, I don't think they, they get an equalizer at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we probably see out the game and, and so it's the big call. Because there's so much of the game to play. I agree with you, Elliot. Yeah. Um, good point. Yeah, because it's so early, Paul. Um, yeah. Hey, Clive. 
<laughs> I Sorry. I don't know how we're gonna do this. I don't know the right way to do it. By the way, on that on that last one, the mm-hmm. issue was not that issue because in England you can, you can kill a goalkeeper. But what the issue was in the first half, Danny Rose made a despicable dive. Should have got yellow carded for that. Then he's not even going in for that challenge. If he goes in for that challenge, another yellow card which he got for that challenge, then he's off. Then the game changes. Mm. So the real error was the fact that the referee saw the dive early, turned away from it, and did not come back and book him. If he books him, then Danny Rose is not throwing himself into contact, Ashley Young style, old Ashley Young style, to get into the area of the ball and then flicking his legs up in the air, doing somersaults. How many somersaults did he do? He looked like Tom Daly. How many somersaults did he do? And that's just what he's doing at the moment. He's now stopped playing football, and he started to play moments and the referee and the referees well, that's called tottenham it. hotspur all around <laughs> you just need to yeah. cotton on to it it's what, just obvious what Clive, doing. What, Clive, why are you why are you always having to go with tom daly <laughs> i like tom daly but you know what as young i'm sorry um, danny rose is not running around in speedos right he's running around in a tottenham kit and he should be playing football not doing diving fair enough okay let's get on to let's get on the headliner i okay I want, personally, to come through this discussion with my sanity in order. I don't know that that's going to happen. Shodran Mustafi is the worst football player to ever pull on an Arsenal shirt. I can't stand him. I cannot stand him. And I don't hate... I can't ever remember hating an Arsenal player. There are Arsenal players that I thought were overrated. There were Arsenal players who, you know, they didn't click for me. Everyone knows famously, I didn't think Giroud was good enough, but I I liked Giroud. I didn't like him as a star striker for Arsenal. I cannot stand Shodran Mustafi. I want to ask you this question. What do you think his teammates, who gave their blood and sweat and every ounce of and fiber of their being to be in the lead and be in a position to win the derby away felt at Mustafi. Because look, you could say, oh, well, what about Aubameyang? He missed a penalty. What about Lacazette? Those are mistakes. Players yeah. make mistakes. Mustafi does things that are intentional. He looks at Kane and he says, yeah, I'm going through the back of you and I'm going to put us in a position where we might concede a penalty here. And that is a selfish, stupid, intentional decision. It is not a mistake. Help me not hate this man for what he has done to us. <laughs> so, okay. So now you've gone, now you jumped off the fence there on Mustafi. I, th- I feel as though I've got to put some balance on this. I think um, he's just a bit of an idiot sometimes, right? He, <laughs> well, then I should the love him. We should, we should be right? like, yeah, it's kismet. Right? And. And the reason why he's an idiot because there's a there is a there is a level in a top level game that you have to just buy into. There are it's a game of influence over a single person that controls the destiny of the game. It's a game of tactics. It's a game of ball movement. It's a game of all the things we know and love. But when it comes down to it, many teams have made their successes based on how they influence a referee. England did it in the summer at the World Cup. Harry Kane's an expert at doing it. Uh, we have somebody, when Tim mentioned earlier about Ramsey disrupting us and the opposition, which is now changed around. Uh, we have a situation with Mustafi where he disrupts us. 
we had a game we were jogging through. It was literally a non-event. We, I've never seen Arsenal in a top six away game for so many years look so assured. When that goal happened, when that moment happened, it was a shock to everybody. It was a shock at the stupidity of it. It was a shock that Spurs had a free pass back into the game because they'd run out of ideas. They were done. It was over. And uh, and the guy just let him back in. So then you asked By the way, the soft foul leading up to that. Yeah, too. yeah it was a soft foul. The man just stepped on the ball. He backed in. He didn't do it. He fell over. It was rubbish. 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 And um, let's not go into it. Right? Sorry, it's keep, all about keep telling Mustafi, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all about interpretation. And, and the ball swings in. And we, we looked in charge of that situation. I, I just felt the Spurs were getting around us a few times. When the first goal in the first half, when Kane headed it in, I thought that was a goal. Uh, it's only that the, the flag came out. I thought, wow. We did not look in control of that situation. They were dropping into their hole quicker than we were. So we need to decide. We need to really be strong and brave. And we weren't quite strong and brave enough that the linesman didn't see it. So Mustafa's in a situation where I think he's panicking. He's the wrong side. And he just needs to let the situation play out. He needs to let it play out. Don't give anyone a free one. And he doesn't. So and then when I watch Arsenal play, I always look at the development. What is the major development point of this game? For me, it's mentality. The mentality that I watch when I watch Juventus play, that edge, that when Juventus played Spurs at Wembley last year in the Champions League last 16, I think of the two legs, I think Juventus had 20 minutes where they were dominant. In that 20 minutes, they took the tie away from them. They took it. They absolutely executed and they took it. And bang, it was over. Spurs played brilliant in those games. and But for 20 minutes, they knocked off and Juventus killed them. What Arsenal have got to do is develop that edge in both boxes. They've got to develop that edge in the, in, in the opposing box, what we saw from Lacazette and Aubameyang, that you give me a chance, you're dead. It's over. And defensively, we have to be far more robust mentally on these key moments. And if we can fix that, then... I think we're going to have more chances to show what we can do. We did it at Manchester United away. We played really well. Scored, went ahead twice, but derailed immediately after we'd scored. So we had no chance to see a level of assurance. This time we had a bit more time to see what we could do. A bit more time to see the plan. A bit more time to see the distances. But then we have someone come along who's not an Iwobi at 22. He's not a Maitland-Niles at 21. He's not a Guendouzi who stepped on the ball against Bournemouth at 19. He's not even a Torreira in his first season in the game, um, in England, in the game, who's, who got sent off very unfortunately. We talk about a player that's 26-27, million pound purchase. And the way I look at it is the rules of the game change for a player like that. And the rules of the game change... When the last time I saw you at Wembley, I think you got knocked off the ball by Aguero off a goal kick. He went through and scored in a cup final. So if someone repeatedly derails, then we have to deal with it. Now, Emery inherited this player. And I think, I have to say, Elliot, that I know that the, the mistake is something that we all remember. But in general play in this game, for the strategy that we played with a narrow back four, with four centre-halves, I thought he had a very good game for Mustafi. I thought he did it really well. He was really aggressive. He shut down that side. 
but I know you're sighing. I can hear you breathing. I I've am got to sighing. Be I am sighing. I've got to be because no one cares, right? No one cares when you do that. No one cares. I don't they care what don't kind care. of game you have when you consciously decide to do something that destroys all the good work your teammates put in. Exactly. Because the other thing I will say is I can't being it, a right? fullback in modern football isn't just about defending. It is also in part about what you do in the attacking half of the pitch. It is why we don't love Licksteiner playing there. It is why, Elliot, but but in this game, I, in this game, we didn't want him attacking. I, well, we did not we, want to give. I didn't want him on the, the pitch at all. But I mean, look, he you know got into a that, couple mate. good we did, positions. We, want him, we where wanted he, our four in the back sure, four. Sure, okay, Clive, stay hang in on. Place. I, I don't disagree, but he did get into the attacking half occasionally, and he put the ball he in did. the fucking corner flag on multiple occasions. Yeah, I mean, when, when he could have just when he could have just slid it over to fucking Mkhitaryan or something, the guy is an idiot. Get him out of my club. I'm sorry. I'm going all AFV TV here. I just can't with him. I'm sorry. I, I can't. I, I can't defend the brain fades. I'm just trying to explain to you what the situation is and what happens and where the weakness is for this club going forward. This club is really close to moving forward in a big way. If we can mentally be more robust yeah. under, under key moments of pressure, we've got a real chance. Serious professionals. We have blown two, points, Stafford, we have blown two points at Spurs. Yeah. Now, take it beyond the last mistake a player made. Come on, we, you're more intelligent than that, and we yeah, all well, are, right? Come on, you take, speak it yourself. Beyond, <laughs> take it beyond that point. Take it beyond that point. We have something to fix here. So you, when you walk away from this game, we've got two forwards that are a little bit emotional, that go on the moment, on the confidence, and we need them to be a lot more killer-based. And we've got a couple of defenders. And by the way, Hands up in the air. I've been somebody that thought Monreal was dead. He well, he he looked. He got out of his coffin. He took the lid off and played a brilliant game, right in a narrow back four. He was absolutely fantastic. So I got that wrong, right? I always thought Mustafi would play right back at some point for us. The last time he played right back was in the World Cup against Algeria, I believe, for with Germany. He got blamed for a poor performance. Didn't play again in the tournament, right? And um, they went on and won the tournament. So. We've got a player here that has issues. As I've always said with him, it was a bad recruitment. He was a player we did not need. We just lost a six foot six centre half and we bought a five foot ten centre half that physically challenged. That really has got issues in his decision making. It was a bad recruitment. But for me, when I look at a player that we have that we can't sell, I always look at how we can utilize him better. And I thought the role he played was really important for us. But then he managed to find a way to snatch a draw from the jaws of victory in only the way Mustafi can do. And I can no longer explain it. So we need to release that player from this club because we are now realised we're not going to win what we need to win with that player in our team. And by the way, he's not the only one. No, okay. Right? So, and by the way, I, I want to just re-emphasise something, Clive. I get it. Aubameyang misses a penalty to win the game. Okay, Lacazette misses two clear chances to win the game. Mm. You know, there there are other people that screw up in this game, but those are mistakes. You know, the Trevino yeah. miss against Bradford the that, was that good. people the don't forget. Trevino yeah. missed. He didn't say, I'm going to miss this to hurt Arsenal. Mustafi makes decisions to do things that hurt Which his teammates explain. and his fans, and they're intentional. They're not mistakes. You know, you watch it. Watch that game again, Paul. I know you did. Later in the match... He two-foots Erickson when the ball is gone and takes himself totally out of play and we're exposed. And it's one of those classic Mustafi moments where he's not getting the ball. There's no chance. He could have been carded for it. 
even you know potentially red carded though that would have been harsh but it's just a I'm just going to take myself out of the play here. Don't feel like being involved. I'm just going to go to ground. Now, look, I understand the instinct to want a two-foot Erickson. Fine. But, it, Paul, I mean, if you're a teammate of, of Mustafi's, you know, Ozil has spent a lot of time out of the team this year. And some of that, you could say, is down to Emery trying to show Messit that he has to do certain things to be part of this team. And, and we've credited him for that at times on this podcast. If you're Socrates, if you're Koscielny, if you're Bern Leno, and you've done what you've done that whole game, and all the other players, to try to get the three points at Wembley against the hated rival, and he does that, how do you look at him in the dressing room? Uh, it's tough. I mean, it, it was a massive error. There's not much defending it, except he's not an actual right back. But but is it an error? Is it an error? Yeah. Or is it, is it yeah. a... a Choice. Excuse me. Look at the number of times Sergio Ramos fecking mugs somebody on a cross. Yeah, he just happens Paul. to get it right. Can, can he, I make a point about that so, though, Paul? Just real quick. The difference no, is if Sergio. Hang on. If Sergio Ramos was a bad no, the, defender who also did those. Difference. Okay. Yeah, but he gets away with it. But the, he's a good defender, so people forgive him. Hang on. Hang on. Mustafi is a center back. Normally, he shoves Kane, but he shoves Kane away. With from the other side towards yeah. the ball, it looks totally different. Here he's trying to do what he would do as a centre back. He's coming from the wrong side. He's he's clashing into Kane, who's coming across him. He's banging him across the goal. Now I'm not defending the fact that it's a decision, but part that it's a terrible decision. But it's it is a mistake. It's your idea that he planned to give a penalty away and completely fuck everything up is utter bollocks. It's, it's a terrible decision, but partly related to the fact that he's playing a right back, not center back. And I'm with Clive. I think he actually did pretty good. He, he was a very poor attacking right back, but he was a very effect. They did not get us down the, down our right wing, for this whole no, game. He, he did a serviceable and, uh, job defending his position, which is yeah. a step in the right direction. The and he undid all he, of it. Socrates, he, he packed Song on his way. Son went on his way. There you yeah, go, mate. Did. There you go. Go and sit on the bench, get a coat on. All right? Yeah. And everyone thought he'd get doubled up, he'd get killed by Rose and Son. It's all over. The commentators were calling it. First two minutes, bang, header out of that hole. Get out of here. not coming down my side. He's Look, we know what we have here. But we know what we have. We can't change him, right? He's fit and available. Bellerin isn't, right? He's fit and available. Maybe question the signing of Lichsteiner, right? Maybe question that signing. You never really need him. He's got a hamstring strain or something's wrong with him. Maybe question the fact that we've got Carl Jengerson in this club for eight years and he's not really at the level we need. He's on £40,000 a week. Question that as much as you question the fact that Mustafi is a centre-half we didn't need to buy. He's a wrong purchase. But we have him. And on this day, he was really close to having a, a, a decent performance. And by the way, I'm not saying that I'm the president of his fan club, but he's a player. If we, I'll tell you now, and everyone listening. You'd have to if we, if we, the next election, Clive. Yeah. I, I'm going to tell you something else. I need you to realize it's very important. right? A few weeks ago, we were questioning Iwobi. A few weeks ago, we were questioning Mkhitaryan. A few days ago, we were questioning Ozil. I've questioned other players like Monreal and Ramsey in the past. I'm telling you now, the way a season works out, love them. 
Because we're, we're going to need them all I, to get I, what we need to get I think to. that's an unfair false equivalency because I have never questioned <laughs> any of those players' uh, desire to try to do... Like, like what I'm saying with Mustafi that bothers me, I don't think Mustafi is incapable physically of being a reasonable professional footballer. The reason I get mad at him is the things he does wrong on a pitch, in my opinion, are decision-making mistakes. Not not mistakes. It's not putting it the right way. There's an intentionality about the things he gets wrong. The Sergio Aguero goal, where he steps up and then raises his hand to the referee and doesn't chase back to try to stop it. There's an intentionality about his decision to not finish a play or to dive in when he doesn't have to. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go into his technically, right? Why do you think that happens? Because I think he... There is something about his character that is not no. what it should you're, be for you're, a professional you're, you're football. Question, you're questioning his character. I am. I am. Absolutely. What I'm, what I'm <laughs> questioning is his ability at the level. And when he's under stress, he makes bad decisions. Well, all right. He you know what, Clive? I, I'll, I'll give it to you. I, I think you're right. I think people make bad decisions when they're in over their head. I agree with exactly. you. Exactly. That's yes. all it is. That's all it is. He's made bad Now, I look at this. But and Carl I look Jenkinson's in over his head. I mean, we have other players that haven't yes, been good enough who Elliot, don't do what you, Mustafi I'm, does. I'm, and Carl Jenkinson has been here for seven years. Right. No, this but, but you see what I'm saying, right? We like have. we have players we who aren't about, good enough who don't. We speak about the we speak about the Arsenal tax. We speak about keeping players too long. Now we've had questions for a while about Mustafi. So what you're saying, we all agree with, but he's here now. Right, so let's discuss why it happens. Why it happens? Because he's mentally derails. He derails at key moments. He derails when you least expect it. It doesn't mean it's intentional. It just means he's not good enough. It's a quality issue. It's a level issue. And every now and again, he can rise to the level, have a great game, right? And then he has a three out of ten game. He was on track to having a seven out of ten game, and then he threw it away. He threw away when there was no pressure on him. I can't explain it. All I can say is, you know what, mate? You're not quite good enough for Arsenal Football Club because we can't carry that anymore if we want to go forward. So that's no problem. We're going to sell you and we're going to move on. That decision is probably 12 months too late. And therein lies the problem. I'm hoping in the new Arsenal, we don't carry that for so long because it's frustrating and we can't carry it, and we can't progress. Because we have... Let me tell you how important this game was, right? I spent a bit of time with Spurs fans today, and let me tell you what they're saying about this game. They're saying that we bossed the game. They're saying, I wish we had your manager, because our manager just sat in his chair. Your manager was up and at him the entire game. Your players looked like they had a plan. Our players just booted the ball forward. Yeah, well, that's true, actually. <laughs> this is how quickly the game changes, right? Okay. This is what I'm trying to say. This is how well, quickly the game changes. And I'm not defending Mustafi. No, no, no. no we can move off this. This is enough It's ridiculous, Mustafi. right? It, uh, yeah. But I, what I will say is, what I will say is, let's understand why it's happening. He's not at a level, and it's up to us as a football club to react much quicker and up our levels, upgrade, and don't carry these people when we know they're not quite there. Yeah, I, and I want to just say this. Look, it. I want to be clear. 
It doesn't make me happy or excited or I'm not trying to be uh, edgy or create engagement by saying I hate Mustafi. Like that, that's not what I want to be saying about anybody who pulls on the Arsenal shirt. And I root for them to have good games. And even when he's on the pitch, of course I root for him. I, I, I want to say this, kind of like in a relationship. If you've been with someone for 10 years, happily married, been faithful every day, they've been faithful every day, and one day you see their phone and a text message pops up from someone you don't recognize and it's a guy and it looks a little flirty, you know, maybe it's nothing. If you're in a relationship with someone who's cheated on you 10 times and, you know, their their phone goes straight to voicemail on Friday nights and you see that text message, it's something else. And... I'm where I am with Mustafi because this is a big game. It's very emotional. It hurt me to see him do that. It hurt me to see him do that to his teammates who I wanted that victory for, for Emery who deserved that victory, for the fans who wanted that victory. And it is in connection with and in uh, accumulation of all the other moments that have frustrated me with this player. So I am sorry for my reaction, and I realize it is over the top a bit. It is It is an honest reaction to someone that has really created this sense of agitation in me and you know we're here to give our to speak our truth like that's it that's the only truth I can speak about this guy I just I'm ready to not see him on the pitch for Arsenal so Paul let, let's finish on the on the positives though I, I hate to go down that road because much like the event itself it really soured what was a wonderful wonderful day the penalty miss obviously ended it on a down it's a draw that feels like a defeat but as we step away from it so much to love the aggressiveness of the manager the aggressiveness of the performance the i thought superiority on the pitch a week where we've started to not just look like a team and a cohesive team that understands the idea but one that can be as fluid and dynamic attacking as we are uh, able to be resilient at the back when necessary you know, the, the Europa League is back, and this week, for me, if Emery stays for years and has a successful tenure, this week, for me, will be the week I look back on and say, that's where it all turned for me and where it may have turned for him at Arsenal. Do you agree that this week, the Southampton game, the Bournemouth game, and this performance, even though it wasn't quite the result we want, was his first signature week of maybe getting everybody on board? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've had, we've had times, but I think a lot of people lost faith recently in the manager, in the tactics, in the football, in the squad. And think about post Bate, one nil away to Bate and where we are today. I mean, how important a week was that was pretty damn recent. Yeah. So you look, look at how quickly things in football churn and, uh, Clive alluded to it. Of course, we got United next, (laughs) so Think of how quickly things can turn. But if we get a, a good result there, if we get the win, or at the bare minimum, we get a draw, which I know would totally suck, uh, and a really good performance, then we're maintaining that mo- momentum. Uh, obviously, we need the win there. Um, but, yeah, that, that would be a platform to go forward. But I also think we shouldn't uh, lose sight of the fact that for all the discussions around Mustafi, uh, it takes us away from spending a lot more time on Socrates and Kishelny. They, yeah, they deserve massive, so, massive credit. And that partnership, yeah. it's like I said earlier in the pod, we got to keep these old men healthy for the, the next you know, 14, 16 games, whatever it winds up being, hopefully. Yeah, and it changes everything about the team. Uh, we shouldn't have conceded in this match. Now, this is a, an NLD away from home, and by rights, we shouldn't have conceded. Okay, it required it. Required brilliance from Leno, 
but it had brilliance from Leno. We should not have conceded in this game. And it's been a long time since we felt that. And you go out of this game thinking we probably shouldn't be conceding in future games uh, based on the solidity of the back. So that's huge. Now, whether we can maintain these two guys, but it's a bit binary. If we keep Koscielny and Socrates in place, um, we can be highly competitive for the rest of the season. And if we lose one of those two, we're right back into, we might be back into the shit fest we saw before and the football might go with it. And we ought to remember that individual players do make a difference. I mean, this is all down to who Socrates is as a player and who Koscielny is as a player. Um, and the manager is, has built on top of that and everybody else gets to shine. You lose one of those two guys, Oops, we're right back into yep. football ain't great. The manager's decisions are dodgy. It's all shit. Uh, do we get him out? Do we get rid of the manager now or do we wait till the summer? We need to shoot the manager through the head now. Otherwise, he'll spend our budget in the summer. Do you remember all that from a couple of weeks ago? Doesn't ring a bell. No? Okay. <laughs> and we'll be relying on Mustafi to cover the cap. Um, all right, enough yeah. of that. Hey, and, and to your point, look, uh, XG in this game, according to Understat, which isn't always sort of consistent with everybody else, but 3.48 for the Arsenal. That includes a penalty. 1.43 for Tottenham. Now, they grant a penalty at 0.76. So that means Tottenham created about three-quarters of an XG, which, you know, I mean, that's that's a great defensive performance. And even without the penalty, that means we created about 2.75. So, like... You know, or, or 2.7, something like that. Anyway, really, really good performance statistically and what you saw with your eyes qualitatively. Um, you know, look, I know there are going to be some people, too, that are saying with the Mustafi thing, it was offside. So if you want to be mad at Mustafi, it never should have happened. It was offside. I agree it's offside. But, like, if a guy's offside and the ref doesn't raise his flag and I come over with a crowbar and hit you in the head, like, I still get a red card and get arrested and thrown in jail. I love you guys. I love you for putting up with me. I know I'm a lot. I can be a lot. Um but it's just kind of how I'm wired, and the the emotions were very high with this, and you know, Ellie, you know what can't really take it back now. It's it's been recorded. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's really good about defensive performance is that we worked out a way to stop them, and by playing narrow, by giving them the the outsides up to a point, but defending the spaces in the box and not giving them channels to run into. They really missed Deli Ali, who runs off shoulders. The only time they got in was when Ericsson ran off our centre backs. They play little diagonals in and they crash the box with centre backs. They're not very creative, but they take what you give them. And we gave them no lanes to run into. Without the lanes, they had to play and they can't. And, and speaking of without the lanes, they're without the lane, they're without their stadium, they're homeless. And basically they're homeless yeah, people that can't play can't football. Play. And it was, it was, what came out of this game was a positive for us. We didn't get the result, but I guarantee you every other coach has now watched Chelsea play them and watched Arsenal play them. And they're going to do exactly the same. And with Ericsson in departure lounge, not going to sign a contract. Without Deli Ali, who's going to come back after the international break, no doubt, and take a while to get back to speed. There's a positive there for us. The Spurs now have to change and react. They can't fight the way out of this. They've got to play the way out of this. And mm-hmm. um, I don't think they can. So Look, I'll tell you, mate, it's all on. It's all I, on. I saw a team this week that can beat United at home, that can beat everybody that's left so in the Europa game. League, that can win the games that are left on our fixture list in the Premier League. I see a team that can finish top four, a team that can win the Europa League. I did not see that a week ago. It is such a massive week, uh, and I'm so thrilled about it. And you know what? I get it. Some big misses, some brain farts in there, some of the things that, again, still have to be pushed away from our game. But, like, 
the the underlying performance overall was great. And the effort, you know, the one thing I will say is this time last season, we were all wondering if the effort was there to, to support Arsene Wenger and what he wanted to do. Those players gave every bit of themselves in this match. And, you know, that tells you that they are fighting for Emery. So I love you guys for putting up with me. Uh, certainly you, uh, Paul and Clive and, and Tim, to the extent that he put up with me prior to my rant, um, will be deleting he my Twitter. cut tw- off the podcast, for God's sake. Yeah, we'll be deleting my Twitter before I publish this. Uh, Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Paz. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thank you, Clive. Top man, son. Thank you. My name's Elliot Smith. You know what to do. Block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Leave us a five-star review. Guys, there are so many nice reviews, and, and the ones that aren't nice are just mean about me, which, let's face it, you know, that's spot on right there. Um, hey, we're going to do our Predictatron podcast later this week. Our blog uh, and Gunner blog did theirs, so we'll see how ours come out. Theirs was so professionally done um, until I continued to listen to it and <laughs> realized they had missed a game and they came back and ended the game they missed. We will certainly do a worse job than that, I assure you. Um, I don't know what Andrew was thinking when he did it, though. He has Arsenal like winning every single game. Uh, which I would love. Maybe I will too. Um, by the way, s- subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're going to be doing more live stuff where you'll see our faces, even Clive's, um, who has promised me he will be on camera. And if you would sign up for our Patreon, uh, we would love you to death for that. Um, I promise you can get more great content and less of me. You can also be in our private chat, which is fun. But if you don't want to do that, we love you for just listening to the regular pod. And as always, uh, it's it's a privilege to be able to talk to you about the Arsenal. A great week. Hopefully more great weeks of Arsenal coming up. We're looking forward to it. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Brand nil. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.